Jesus said he had been given power over all flesh. Do we fully understand and believe what that actually means? Is it possible to have something eternal and still lose it? Can you be in Christ and still live unto yourself? Jesus taught about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Was he teaching about two different kingdoms? Is your understanding of Jesus a biblical one? I want to know. It is my great joy, and I mean joy, to welcome each and every one of you to the Doctrine of Christ Season 8, Episode 3, Life in the Sun, because life in the sun, that will make you happy. That's where our life is. And I'm just thankful to be here, Brother Jimmy, bringing the Doctrine of Christ. And you know why I'm so happy? I mean, could could it be because the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life? There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's it, and it is, and it'll it'll put a smile on your face and a, a tap in your toe, and it'll it's life, and that's what we're talking about in this episode, life in the sun, and we're continuing our 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 study into that great high priestly prayer in John seventeen. Well, I can tell from the first two episodes how much you've been enjoying this. It's life. It's life, and it, it's just, it's, it's life. It's spiritual life, and it's greatness. Well, you and, know, I've read a few comments from the first episode. I haven't got to other ones yet. I've been a little slow getting to it this time, but uh, from what I've read so far, it's having the same effect on, on people, so that's great. Everybody seems to really be blessed by it. Well, I'm so glad. I hope they enjoy it as if they enjoy it and are blessed as much as we are, they'll be in good shape, won't they? That's right. And I feel, you know, this is the this study is drawn deep and it's bringing that deep, pure water out of the bottom of the well. And it's just wonderful. It's just spiritual food. And um, let's just have a little more of it. What do you say? Let's do John chapter 17, and we're going to go to verse 2. And we did one verse in our first two episodes, and we're going to actually go through two verses today, Jimmy. All right. uh, We'll see. Well, (laughs) well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. John chapter 17 and the second verse. As thou hast given unto him power over all flesh. What? A statement. Jesus has power over all flesh. And if he does, should we not pay attention to what he has to say? And do we really believe that he has power over all flesh? If we just believe that one statement, we would be so attentive to every word that fell from his lips. Just like it says in the Great Commission, all power is given unto him in heaven and earth. And that power, that exousia, that means he can choose. He has the authority to choose power over 
all flesh, that he should give eternal life. And this is the thing. He has power over all flesh. Eternal life is from Christ. It's only from Christ. And whether or not we receive eternal life is our opinion and our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the line of demarcation between heaven and hell right there. Thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And we've talked many times about how the father, he draws, the father gave the son, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John chapter six, it is the drawing, no man comes unto the son, but that the father drew him. We talked about in eternity past, how the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost, they got together and they decided to create human beings, to give them the power to love God and to choose to love him. And if you have the power to choose to love him, you have the power to choose to reject him. And before he ever did that, he had the plan that he would send his son to die upon the cross for all of those that would stray from the way and choose the wrong path. And indeed, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Father has provided a remedy for us in the sending of his Son. He certainly has. Now, I want to read, and as I have said, the three primary sources, of course, we can't limit ourselves just to three, but the three Puritans that we're using, I'm using these as my go-to guys. I read these guys, and I tell you what, They'll just, uh, if they don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. That's all I got to say. And Anthony Burgess, who wrote a two-volume work called Christ's Prayer Before His Passing. Mr. George Newton, his commentary on John 17, wrote a big commentary just on the one chapter. And Thomas Manton, who two volumes, he's got his works, I think, are 22 volumes, another Puritan, and in two volumes, he dealt with John 17 and the richness. You know, I just am so blessed because this isn't just a little snack. This is a banquet, and I love it. Now, Brother Burgess said this. He said that Christ is the great lawgiver. Now, usually when we think of the lawgiver, we think of Moses. But he emphasizes Christ the great lawgiver. Christ's power is seen in giving laws and prescribing duties to all according to which they should live. Therefore, he calls them his commandments. We see in the Great Commission of teaching them to observe all things what I have commanded you. They're not suggestions. They're commandments. And Jesus has power over all flesh. And Mr. Burgess said that when we understand that, and in when we meditate upon John 17 and 2, that he has power over all flesh, he has power to give eternal life. And that's the only place it's coming from. If he chooses, if he sees, it's like when he sees the proper faith and response from us, it's like, 
the king extends his scepter. He gives us eternal life. Nowhere else to get it. And Brother Burgess said we must understand him as the great lawgiver. This is a concept that has been, instead of seeing Christ as the great lawgiver, I'm going to show you in, in and show us all here in this episode the way that the modern-day false teachers play hide the football with the doctrines of Christ. And they're, they, it's amazing the links they go. But he goes on to say, the consideration is a two-edged sword to many hypocrites. They love Christ. They say they trust in him, their redeemer, but they do not obey him as a king. This is a lawgiver who has power to damn and to save. Christ is king. He's prophet, priest, and king, but he is certainly king of kings and lord of lords. He is the lawgiver. He gave his commandments, and they weren't suggestions. The Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions, like Ted Turner said, and the doctrine of Christ. It's it's not, you know, just some little thing to make you feel good about yourself. It will. It'll make you feel great if, if you just believe and obey. But, it, you know, it's it's it has the power to damn. It has the power to save. And this is the great truth we're confronted with in this text in John. He has power over all flesh to give eternal life to whoever it's been prepared for by the Father. And, and I love this. He says, what do you think of these laws? Are not these holy and just? Do you think Christ has not power to be avenged on you? Oh, take heed of making this power against you. It is able to undo you without hope. That's what we must say to everyone. What do you think about his commandments? What do you think? Do you realize that he has all power, power over all flesh, and that rejecting his commandments will undo you without all hope? He has power over all flesh, and if any eternal life is to be had from anyone, it's going to come from him. And this is something that Mr. Burgess understood. It's something that all the the great men and women of God of old understood, but we have to refocus. We have to bring people back. And this isn't uh, step one, step two, step three. This is foundational in the Great Commission, as we've emphasized overall, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In the book of Hebrews, in the 10th chapter, in verse 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Well, do we understand that Jesus is also the great lawgiver and the greatest lawgiver? Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? Now, just think of that text. Moses' law, you died. Two or three witnesses, that put the rocks on you. Now, how much more do we think if you despise the law of Jesus that you're not going to be in eternity underneath a pile of rocks with gasoline and a match put to it? We need to fear God and we need to understand that Jesus is the great lawgiver. And that phrase, trodden underfoot, what happens when these preachers, 
They'll take the words of Christ, the precious words, and they will say that they're not even for Christians. Would that be trotting underfoot, the Son of God? If that doesn't do it, I don't know what would. You know, this is serious, and I fear, I fear for everyone that has the misfortune to have come under the orb of teachers like this, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant. Now, there's a word right there, covenant. That was an old one, you know. And in that old covenant, people had a clear understanding that there was a lawgiver, Moses, that received the law on Mount Sinai from the Father. And they understood, you break the law, you're in trouble. But now there's also a new covenant. And there's a new lawgiver. And it's still a covenant. And we need to understand that Jesus is the great lawgiver. And his commandments are not optional. What he said wasn't some flippant uh, little preacher on YouTube, but he has power over all flesh. Eternal life comes from him, and that's what need to be all about. And hath counted the blood of covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. Praise God. We understand Jesus. And you see, and, and the word of God, it says, his commandments are not grievous. They're great. Oh, how I love thy law, O oh Lord. They're great. You know, it's not something, oh, man, I got to obey God. But it's great to obey God because he knows what's best for us. He knows how to keep us and keep us happy and uh, keep us joyful. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we will certainly have that. I, I can't imagine going through these days and times with, without God's word and, and without the instruction and I don't know how I don't know how people do it. I really don't either, Jan. And a lot of people aren't doing it. Suicides are at an all time high. Yeah. I mean the people that are committing suicide, turning to drugs, alcohol, pornography, video games, just whatever it takes to get our mind numb because people are losing hope. They've lost faith in our institutions, and they're desperate, and they need Jesus. That's why we just need to say, come home to Jesus. I mean, people don't even know who they are. No. They're so uh, – it breaks my heart. I, I don't I don't ever see the, the madness going on and make fun of people. It's It truly is heartbreaking. And, you know – the response of Jesus, and it says he looked about on the multitudes and he had compassion on them. Yeah. And there when he fed the fire, he had compassion on them. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, we got to have that heart of compassion. Like you say, the people, the, the, the poor little kids, the way they're, the things they teach them in school to confuse them about even their own uh, gender. And we know all of that that's going on. And you got to have compassion. And people have just been dumbed down, and the churches aren't telling them very precious little of anything. And it's time to really have compassion and reach out and tell people once again, Jesus, doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, Jesus has power over all flesh. Eternal life comes from him. And when we get a hold of that life, I tell you, your life's going to change. It's going to get good. So, Yeah. And that's it, man. That is it. That's what we need to be all about. Seeing 
the masses of people like Christ saw them and having compassion and extending Christ to them. And that's what everyone that listens to this DOC, we want you to know that Jesus is just a prayer way. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He's just a prayer away. If you don't know him now, you can one minute from now. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He's just a prayer away, and he's praying for us, as we learn. Yeah. Yeah. He's praying for you. Yeah. And if you don't know Jesus, Jesus is praying for you. And he's sending his Holy Spirit to convict you and draw you. The Father's drawing you. So just give up. Come home to Jesus and come into that blessed fold of the Israel of God. And uh, he'll keep praying for you. He certainly will. Now, Brother Burgess, he goes on to say this. He says, Christ is ahead in respect of his spiritual influence and powerful communication of his grace and strength to those that are his members. Now, he has power over all flesh, and that means that he's the great lawgiver, but it also means that he is the head in connecting us with the spiritual grace and power and life. It comes from him because we're in relationship with him. And that flows into us because we are united with him. And that is the life of God. And when we talk about eternal life, eternal life is a quality of life. Eternal life is the life of God. Jesus will never die. And when we have his life, we will never die either. And we're going to really expand that concept and talk about that in quite a bit of detail in the, the epistle of Paul to the Colossians in the second chapter. Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read verse 18 and 19. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head. <laughs> you see, we got to get a hold of the head, keep a hold of the head, because from him, like Brother Burgess said, that life and grace, it flows directly from him. Don't let anyone fool you that it's over here doing that, over here doing this. It's from him. And holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministereth and knit together, increases with the increase of God. It's nourishment. It's life. And it flows directly from him. So, you know, this over here, that over there, doesn't matter. Get a hold of the head and let that life and nourishment, it's nourishment flow into you. So the head is obviously Jesus. Yes. The head is obviously Jesus. And Paul just comes out and says it in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And to be dead, we are dead unto sin by faith in the cross. Dead. And in verse 4, 
when Christ, who is our life, he is our life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Jesus is our life. Now, here's what people will say. They'll say, now I've got eternal life, and I've got eternal life, so I can never lose that eternal life. Because that life's eternal, because it's eternal, I can never lose it. But what they miss is the life is in the sun. It's not us. It's only ours as long as we're in the sun. You see, that's a very faulty analogy. You could have a diamond as big as your fist that would never disintegrate. And you could have that diamond. Someone could take it away from you real early. Easy. Just because you have something that's eternal doesn't mean you can't lose it. Because clearly, this is the teaching of Scripture. Christ is our life. Life is in the sun. That's what we're talking about this week. Life is in the Son. He has power over all flesh to give eternal life unto whoever that he chooses. Life is in the Son. It's not in us. And even after we believe in Christ, let's look at a text in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. And the text says here, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, comma, and this life is in his son. Life is in the son. We have eternal life because we're united with the son who gives that grace and that life and that nourishment, but we don't have eternal life within ourselves. Oh, if we are not united with Christ, life is in the son. Yeah, and he doubles down the next verse. He says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Yeah. Now, that's pretty straight. It's pretty clear. And uh, you know, he wanted to make sure you understood what he meant. Yeah. He doubles down there a little bit, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And it's just plain, and that's right. And it's just utter nonsense to say that uh, when, a, when a human being at some point in time has faith in Christ that, you know, he has, and this is the teaching of so many, you're like a little God, you know, you're, you're immortal. And, you know, this is just so wrong. Now let's look at what brother Newton had to say. Brother Newton, uh, George Newton in his commentary on page 63, he said, if you have received life from Christ, you are moved, (laughs) comma. Now I love that, you know, If you have received life from Christ, you're moved. I mean, you're not going to be like you used to be. It's going to be like a jolt of electricity hitting you. You're going to be changed. You're going to be moved. You're going to be motivated because this life is power. And when this when the very life of God, for goodness sake, is flows into you, you're going to be moved. I love it. And he says you are acted by the principles of that life. It's going to move you, and it's going to realign you according to the principle of that life that comes into you. You you have been united with a supernatural, uh, as, as the Apostle Peter said, we actually become partakers with the nature of God. And when that happens, you're going to be moved by it. And if you haven't been moved by it, you need to go back to square one and pray again because you haven't made contact 
We're talking about eternal life here, regeneration, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. And as Paul wrote in the second epistle to the Corinthians 5 and 17, we know the text. Therefore, if any man, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new because when this eternal life hits you, as Brother Newton said, you're going to move. It's going to move you. Now he goes on to say, if you have received life from Christ, you live to Christ, and therefore it is called the life of Christ as it comes from Christ. So on the other side, it tends to Christ from whom it comes. And just back up a couple verses here, and that's so well illustrated in the scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 15, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What do you, what do you suppose he meant by that? Should not henceforth live unto themselves. I mean, doing my own thing? That's exactly what he's talking about. What I think is right? Yeah. What I think is good ideas? <laughs> yeah. All my good ideas got me in a lot of trouble. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I've done a lot of planning and God's done a lot of laughing. And until we get really broken into his will, that's the way it is. Yeah. And this idea, and this is the idea that's perpetrated uh, in the modern religious system that, you know, you can live under yourself and still be a Christian. You can't do it because when, and this is it, when real eternal life hits you, you will be changed. And like Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There ain't anyone out there that's in Christ that isn't a new creature that hasn't been hit with this jolt of life that's come into him. Now, like Brother Newton said, you're going to be moved by it. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're going to be moved by it. Your, your, little, your little selfish life that you used to live, that's going to be over. You're going to be realigning yourself to live unto Christ because Christ's your life now. He's your life. Your life is not anywhere else but in Christ. So, sure, it's going to be natural that we live unto him because he's our life. Well, and another thing that's so great about this to me, I'm sitting here thinking as you're, as you're saying this, you know, the Word of God doesn't change, thankfully, but culture changes from decade to decade, century to century. And if if God would change to bend to towards our will and what is socially acceptable to us now, then then how would we ever have that compass, that that home base, that you know? I'm thinking if you're playing when you're kids and you're playing chase and you're running around, people are being chasing you. But if you if you got back to that home base, you were safe. And that home base is the Word of God, and it's Jesus. Yeah. And and uh, I'm just thankful that it, it that He doesn't change because this world definitely changes daily now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's just a new bucket of crazy every day now. Um, and you know, I, I love that old hymn, "Hold unto God's unchanging hand." 
And so many of them old hymns would talk about the the anchor and uh, the rock that never changes. And wow. And we did a one of our attributes of God was on immutability. Yeah. The impossibility that God can never change. He can't change. You know, I am the Lord God. I change not. <laughs> the prophet Malachi wrote. What a great thing. You know, this is another thing that that the DLC season on the attributes of God that just blessed my socks off too. And, uh, cause I mean, when season when, six, every episode, when these truths come alive in us, boom, it's light, it's truth and it's in Christ. And there's, there's nothing greater than that. And all the time we, and you know, Jesus was the same way. Uh, I ministered last Friday night on, taking the kingdom by force. And uh, when, a, when a first century Jew came to Christ. Is that on your underground church? Yeah, it's on. A, and I was called doing violence unto Satan. Okay. And uh, I used Jonathan Edwards and Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson wrote a book on it. And Jonathan Edwards preached a fabulous sermon on it. And when we, when we think about the first century Jew, when they believed in Christ, they went against the religious leaders of their day. They were ostracized. They were persecuted, oftentimes even killed. It was radical. I mean, they had to get radical to throw off what they had and to embrace Christ. We're in the same way today. To believe what we're saying here tonight, you got to get radical. you got to throw off what you're hearing from the, the happy church out there. Because it's a bunch of lies. They weren't worried about being canceled. No, <laughs> they, they <laughs> no. And in and you know, there's a phrase in the New Testament that, uh, and it said, and I think it said it in regard with either Nicodemus uh, or Joseph of Arimathea, one in the 19th chapter of John, I believe, and it says they were a secret disciple. Think Nicodemus for the fear of the Jews for fear of the Jews, because they would flat get you, and they'd be in your stuff. And today it's the same way. You're not going to fit in with the apostate religious system if you tell them what Jesus really said. They have no time for it. They'll they, And you know, like Brother Burgess said, they're hypocrites. What do you think of his loss? And he just flat called them hypocrites. They had that to a degree back in the days of the Puritans, but now those guys are driving the bus. There's no doubt about it. They're driving the bus. Now, we're going to go to the doctrine of Christ, and we're going to just examine what the one that had power over all flesh, that great lawgiver, had to say about our relationship with him and how that affected our eternal life. And, of course, this goes against the grain, and I'm going to even show you the way some of these hot shots play hide the football with the doctrine of Christ to to get rid of it. And it's disgusting. And I, I am so disgusted with it that, I mean, I just flat out call them the devil's preachers, because when you take the holy words of Christ and you just do away with them and put something in the place, that's Antichrist. If you look what the word Antichrist means in the lexicon, it means number one in place of, and number two, the second meaning is against. And they are taking what Jesus said, they're putting something else in its place, 
and totally throwing out what he said in place after place after place. And we're going to show you specifically how they do that in relationship with the what Jesus said about our relationship with him and eternal life. And we're going to examine some passages, and we're going to take a uh, clear look at them here. Now, let's begin in the eighth chapter of Luke, and let's go to verse 11, and we'll look here at the parable of the sower. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, right there, that word pistuo, and it can be used. It's used in the second chapter of John of those that believed, but yet did not really believe unto salvation. So it can be used of a superficial faith. But here in this parable, pistuo is defined in verse 12 specifically as believing unto salvation, that they should believe and be saved. This interprets that word pistuo for the whole parable. Now, in verse 13, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe. So it's possible for people to believe for a while, and in time of temptation to fall away. You know, that's the clear teaching of Christ, that you can have genuine faith in him and then fall away during a time of temptation. In verse 14, and they which fell among thorns or they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But they on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. Now, there's the key phrase right there. Having heard the word, keep it. These are the ones that are going to be on the rock. They're going to bring forth fruit. They heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Now, let's look at a couple words here. In, in verse 13, it says that some people believe for a while and then fall away. Let's look at that word fall away for just a little bit. It's the Greek word ephistomai. It's number 868. And it means just that. It means to depart from something. And it means you're here with something and you leave it. That's just exactly what that word means. And we'll read a couple texts where the word ephistomai uh, is used. And the best way to understand the Bible is just let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, let's look at ephistomai in 1 Timothy 4 and 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart. There's our word. Ephistomai, from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So Jesus told us in the parable of the sower that some people are going to believe in him for a while, but then they're going to epistemize. And after they depart, they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And guess what? These seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, they're not teaching the doctrine of Christ. 
They're teaching something exactly different. They're trampling underfoot what he said. And Jesus told us right here that what happened, Ephistami. And in the 16th verse of 1 Timothy 4, take heed unto thyself. Yeah, we need to watch our little selves. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Not some doctrine, but the doctrine. We'll show you the specific doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, what doctrine? Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. 1 Timothy 6, 3, these people, they want to say that Jesus taught one thing and Paul another. That's a huge porky. 1 Timothy 6 and 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions of, and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and surmisings. If someone departs from the doctrine of Christ and tries to, to do away with them, you don't know a little bit, you don't agree with the disagree, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. They're just proud, and that's the epitome of pride for someone to think that they can take what Jesus said and just throw it away. Doesn't get any more proud than that. And like Brother Perkins said, <laughs> it ain't good uh, to get this thing going against you. <laughs> Don't you think that uh, Christ, who has power over all flesh, that uh, he will not turn this against you? You know, the word tells us what's going to happen to those that trample underfoot the great lawgiver, Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed, that's right. Let's have one more text with Ephistamite. And Ephistamai appears in the book of Hebrews in the third chapter, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. And it says here, for we are made partakers of Christ. Now get ready for the biggest word in the Bible. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. All we got to do, we're saved by faith. The just shall live by faith. But there are some that believe for a while. Then in time of temptation, they will fall away. Now, let's just look at another word here. It says here in this parable, Jesus said that they, having heard the word, keep it. That word is kacheko. It's 2722 in the Greek. And what that means is to hold down fast. You hold it down, you hold it down fast. That means you pin it down and you hold on to it. Don't let it go. Having heard the word, keep it. And that word was falling right from the lips of Christ himself. John 5, 24. That, and I'll just, I want to read that text here. If you hear the word and you keep it, and that's what eternal life depended on, whether you believe the words coming out of Jesus' mouth or not, whether you believed he come from the Father, John 5 and 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. 
You see, the everlasting eternal life that comes from Christ, and it depends whether we believe on him. Do you believe the Father sent him? Do you believe he's speaking the words of God? If you do, you're in good shape. If you don't, it's not going to go good for you. You see, we we, we have to constantly reemphasize that Christ and faith in him, and I always say over and over the cross, the doctrine, the example of Christ, this is the most important thing in our life because without it, you're in hell. And unfortunately, this is something the Puritans got it. I said last week that uh, I found the doctrine of Christ before I found the Puritans, but they found the doctrine of Christ before I did. We're not the first ones to say this, and we have to emphasize this to people because without Christ, you're lost. Eternal life comes from him. It doesn't come from the general overseer. It doesn't come from going in and out of the whatever little thing you go in and out of. It comes from him, and without the life of Christ in us and obedience to him, you're lost. You're lost, and we have to reiterate it that over and over Cacheco, having heard the word, keep it, having heard the words of Jesus, yes, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Let's look at just a couple texts with that word, Cacheco, Cat-H-O, and it's K-A-T-A-E-C-H-O, and I guarantee I'm not saying it right, but Hebrews 3.14, it says this, here's where we hear that little word, and I just read it, for if we are made partakers of Christ, for we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold, there's that word, there's that word right there, hold it and hold down fast. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, we see that word also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's look at verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you by which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Now get ready for the biggest word in the Bible. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest ye have believed in vain. There it is again, that word again. We hold on to it. We're saved by believing in Jesus and what he said and what he did on the cross for us. Having heard the word, we keep it. We don't, we don't go over here. We don't go over there. It's all about Jesus. We're just get bananas for Jesus. We just understand that the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in our life because that's what gives us eternal life. And without that life, we have nothing but damnation, and with that life, it's going to move you. It's going to move you. It's going to change you, and that is the greatest thing in the world, and anyone that has never put their faith in Christ, I guarantee you that Jesus will never disappoint you. He will never let you down, and whatever your problem is today, the answer to it is Jesus Christ. That is the answer to all of our problems. It's all about Jesus. Now, Romans chapter 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And it's not enough to just hear, but we must obey. And I know that those 
that listen to the doctrine of Christ regularly, I know we're preaching to the choir because we're all about that here because we know the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing. It really is. And we can't say it enough. Can't say it enough. And um, let's look at another text here. And I'm going to show you how some of these devil's preachers play hide the football with the words of Jesus. Now, Matthew 18. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. And let's look. Let's start with verse 32. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now, that's just about as plain as something can get, isn't it, Jimmy? But I don't want to forgive people that's done bad things to me. And our old man doesn't, does it? We don't want to forgive. We want to hold grudges. But I tell you, that new man in Christ, that new life in Christ, it'll enable us to. And we remember we did a whole episode on the DOC. We unpacked the Lord's Prayer verse by verse. And right after that, uh, in verse 14, Matthew 6, 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, that is just pretty clear. You don't have to be uh, real smart to understand that, thank God, but you have to be kind of slick to twist that in to mean something that it doesn't. Yeah. Now, let's look. I want to read a comment here from a fellow by the name of Robert Shank. This is a very good book. It's called Life in the Sun. It was written back in, see if the date on this, it's a, uh, da, 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 da. originally printed in 1960. And Robert Shank was a Southern Baptist preacher that got saved. <laughs> he was. And he wrote this book, Life in the Sun. And he wrote this, from the personal experience that he saw from an organization that would tell people that, you know, once you say a prayer, nothing you can ever do will rob you of eternal life. And this is an excellent book. He wrote a book called Life in the Sun and Elect in the Sun. And it, this is what Mr. Shank has to say here. And it's a very scholarly and well-written book. And he said this about this teaching in Matthew 18. Jesus here teaches that the forgiveness of God, though fully and freely granted in pure mercy and grace to undeserving sinners, nevertheless remains conditional. According to the individual's subsequent response to the gracious forgiveness which he has received, the, this is the point of the parable. This is the point of his parable to deny this is to deny that the parable has meaning. And he's right. 
That's all this scripture's about. It's telling people that if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. That's exactly what he taught in the Lord's Prayer. So if you were the devil, and if you were the devil's preacher, how would you twist this verse to make people think that they can not forgive people and still be forgiven by God. Jesus says, you don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive you. So how do we get from there to saying, you don't have to forgive others, and God will still forgive you? Maybe they may, maybe they think the word trespasses means something else. Well, I'll tell you how the big boys do it. Let's read a little bit from Lewis Ferry Schaefer. And Lewis Ferry Schaefer's eight-volume systematic theology, this is the top of the food chain for dispensational theology. He's the big boy. He was the head of Dallas Theological Seminary back in the time when Dallas really took off and become the dispensational Vatican. He is their big guy. And this is Lewis Ferry Schaefer's Systematic Theology. This is volume three. We're going to rage from two on page 292. And he says here, Matthew 18, 23 through 35, this extended passage sets forth a law of forgiveness, namely that the one is, who is forgiven should forgive. To make what is distinctively said of the king in relation to the kingdom of heaven is to apply to the church a confusion of truth for which there is no excuse. He says to actually take this verse and apply it to Christians, that's confusion. Now, I would say what's confusion is, is to tell Christians that what Jesus said is not for them. Now, he said a Christian in Christ, a Christian in Christ and under the protection of infinite grace is not to be delivered to the tormentors until he pays the debt which Christ has already paid. If you're under infinite grace, you're never going to be delivered to the tormentors, even if you don't want to forgive. Now, that's just about as jacked up and whacked up as you can get. Now, here's what he did. And Schofield in his notes, he defines the kingdom of heaven as guess what? The millennial reign, the millennial reign, the millennial reign. So you see, this is for the kingdom of heaven, and it's for the Jews in the millennial reign. It's not for Christians at all. Now, I didn't see that anywhere in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, my heavenly father will do this to anyone that plays this game. Anybody. You see the terrible, the terrible uh, shifty games they're playing here. And I tell you what. This is just absolutely nothing but damnable. Now, here's the game they play. Let's look at it. And what they say, they say that when the Bible says kingdom of heaven, that means millennial reign. And that's different than the kingdom of God. And they splice that so that that's how they say that the teachings of Christ, well, they're not for Christians now. They're for the millennial reign. And last night, I did about an hour and 45 minutes teachings with Tracy on the millennial reign. It'll be up on that enduring sound doctrine. I tell you, it's awful. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. I'm going to read from a book called 
an examination of dispensationalism by a fellow by the name of William Cox. He was another Baptist preacher that got saved. And when I and when I say Baptist, I tell you what, the Baptist and the whole bunch of them, they're in a lot of trouble today. But you go back to and if you read Charles Spurgeon and the other day, I I got somebody reading Spurgeon and I said, uh, mentioned about him being a Baptist. He was a Baptist, you know, and guys like John Gill and Charles Spurgeon. Now, I tell you what. Those guys were OK with me. But today, bless their hearts, and even down with D.L. Moody and R.A. Torrey, but bless their hearts. They're in a lot of trouble, and they're in the the good ship lollipop with all the rest of them, I guarantee you. Well, it's, but, like, it's like we said earlier. They, they're shifting with the culture, shifting with the times, instead of staying solid, you know. And it's true with uh, what we've learned from, you know, Methodist and uh, other other belief systems back in the day were not like what they are today because they keep changing with the culture and with the times. Bless his heart, Brother Wesley would, oh my, what he would think if he could see what the Methodist church has become. Um, But anyway, let's read from William Cox, and he says it well here uh, on page 35 of this book. He said, and he's looking, we're going to look at a couple's texts, Matthew 11 and 12 and Luke 16, 16. And these are two verses talking about the same time, same event, same man. And in one of them, it talks about the kingdom of heaven and another, the kingdom of God. And what the difference is, you see, the kingdom of heaven, the father is ruling now in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ as his right hand. Now that exists. Whether anyone wants to believe it does or not. Right. And the kingdom of God is how it's spoken of. You know, we're going to read some scriptures. Jesus said, You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom of God refers to our participation in that kingdom of heaven. Same kingdom. It's just a little bit of a nuance to distinction, you know. And it's lunacy. Well, I'll read. I'll read Brother Cox's comments here, and let's read the scriptures first. Um, let's read the text in um, Matthew 11 and 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent taketh by force. That was my text for last Friday night. Now, there it says the kingdom of heaven. And another time, Jesus taught this very same thing about the same time, same place, same man. And in Luke, the 16th chapter and verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Kingdom of God in Luke, kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Well, they like to split stuff up. On the return of the Lord, well, we got the rapture, and then seven years later, we've got uh, the return of Christ. Doesn't matter. Jesus said the tares come out before the wheat. You know, we ain't worried about that. Then they got the resurrections. Well, they got dependent. They got all kinds of different resurrections instead of one resurrection. They just split stuff up and dice and slice it like some kind of a satanic vegematic. But he goes on to say, this is what 
Brother Cox says about this. These could well have been two separate messages delivered by our Lord. The important thing to note in that in both messages, he fixed the time as being the same. He said that John took up where the law and the prophets left off and that he preached the gospel of a kingdom. In one message, Matthew eleven twelve, our Lord referred to that kingdom as the kingdom of heaven, while on the other occasion, Luke sixteen sixteen, in speaking of the same man, same time, and same message, he referred to that kingdom as the kingdom of God. It's absolutely ludicrous to think that there were two kingdoms here being talked about. But that's what they do. They shift it all to the millennial reign and do away with what Christ said. Well, they need to understand that Jesus has power over all flesh. He's the great lawgiver. And that's the games they play to get rid of the doctrine of Christ. And it's damnable. Um, We'll read just a couple texts, and you all are familiar with these. Um, Luke 17 and 21, but we want to give you the scriptures. Uh, Luke 17, 21, and like we say, the kingdom of heaven, the Lord rules in heaven, uh, whether we want to believe it or not. But when we put faith in Christ, when we are participatory, participate in it, it's talking about the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 21, neither shall they say lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Because King means to rule over. When Jesus is king and we're servant, we're in the kingdom of God. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we confess him as Lord, we enter the kingdom. And the, the kingdom of God we enter into, that is just the same as the kingdom of heaven. The only nuance of difference is that we are participating in that. Um and in John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in John 3 and 5, Jesus answered, Verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this is that nuance of understanding that, we have to see it. It's just crazy. And this is the shenanigans that they use to do away with the teaching of Jesus. And this is damnable. They are not someone that I'm going to try to agree to disagree with. I call them the devil's preachers because people that are so unwise and so unfortunate to follow these people, you know, it, it, it's just heartbreaking, but it's obvious where they're going to wind up. It's just sad. And it is with compassion that I reach out to people that I say, hey, look, looky here. Looky here what these people are doing. It's damnable. It's shady. It's shifty. Everything about it's wrong. And if people can look the precious Savior in the face and what he said and throw it away for these wolves, it's on them. It's on them. And we got to warn. We've got to warn people. Um, and it's with all and it's heartbreaking. And it, it's like, how can't you see this? You know, how in the world can you not get this? And we'll give one more. We'll give one more um, comparison of this uh, 
comparing the kingdom of God uh, with the kingdom of heaven. Let's read Matthew. And we could do a lot of these, but we'll just do one more here just to make sure we got it. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7. And as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Luke chapter 9 and verse 2, the text says, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And Brother Cox commented, he said, Matthew and Luke record the beginning of our Lord's earthly ministry. And while there can be no doubt that both refer to his opening message, though one uses the term kingdom of heaven, while the other refers to the kingdom of God, would dispensationalists have us believe that Jesus preached two different kingdoms as beginning at hand at the same time? They're silly, aren't they, Jimmy? They're silly. And I, I seem to remember that did we do an episode in an earlier season on the king this very topic? I think we have talked about that. I can't I can't remember probably when we talked about the kingdom of God, I imagine. I can't remember, but I, I know we've talked about this before. Yeah, and it I'll I'll post it in the in this video when I edit. Uh, if I if I can find it, yeah, because that'd be a good one to go back and watch too. It would, yeah. And I know we've talked about it, but right now I, I can't tell you the specific one we've done. But I know we have, and it's important because these are shifty. These are shifty games they play, and they play it for a purpose to get rid of what Jesus says is applying to us, and to tell people they can literally live any way they want to. And of course, they'll say. Now, we're supposed to live holy. We're supposed to live right. Yeah, they'll say, well, boy, that's a good thing. But if you don't, eh, you know, don't worry. You know, nothing you ever can do. You know, and we, we've read from Mr. Stanley, who I guess passed away not long ago. But Mr. Stanley's teaching is still going. And he would say that, uh, you know, even an atheist, you know, could still be saved. You know, you could believe in Christ at one time and be an atheist and still be saved. Just what Pope Francis says, you know, but that's not what Jesus said. You know, Jesus didn't say that. And he is the dispenser of eternal life. He has power over all flesh. And I guess it'd probably be good for us to listen to him, wouldn't it? Now, let's read another passage. And these passages from Jesus are so clear. You, What they say is clear. And to get something else out of it, I mean— there's the scripture where it talked about resting the scriptures to their own destruction. And I mean, you got to get the uh, old apostle wrench and just pull these and you got to come up with some kind of clever demonic explanation to do away with the pure, simple words of Christ. And in Luke 12, let's have some more of them. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 42. And the text says here, and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, 
and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now, that's about as straight as it can get that if you're a servant and you turn unto a bunch of nonsense when Jesus comes back or when you leave this world, you're not going to get a lesser place in heaven. You're going to get what an unbeliever does. Now, Robert Shank had a very good comment on this also, and he said this. He said, this is on page 35 of Life in the Sun. He said, it is obvious that Jesus' parable has no application to men who do not know him as Savior and Lord, and who have not sincerely undertaken to follow and serve him. His parable concerns only men who know him and to whom he commits solemn responsibilities as his true disciples. And that just stands so obviously true. And this is one of the most, I've had discussions with a lot of these folks that believe this way. And this is a hard one for them to even come up with some kind of a shifty sham uh, explanation. The word of Christ is so clear and it's consistent. He'll say the same thing in Luke chapter eight, as he does in Matthew 18, as he does in Luke chapter 12, consistent, consistent, consistent. And to take the pure, simple words of Christ and to twist them, I tell you what, like Brother Burgess said, don't you think the Lord is not able uh, to turn this against you in that great day? And boy, boy, he will. And in the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And in first Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, we have that word uh, adokamas, which is the Greek word for reprobate. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And that word castaway, that is the word adokamas, that is the word for reprobate. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, Paul uses that word again. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. In Christ we have life, and the Word of God admonishes us, make sure you know you're in Christ, not a reprobate. And so many people are like the frog in the kittle. They, they have just imbibed a little bit of poison, a little bit more poison, and after a while, their minds are numb. They're just programmed with the goo that's coming out of the apostate religious system instead of the words of Christ. And Jesus is the one that's going to give you life. Let's look at one more text here from Jesus where it's so clear 
on our relationship with him and eternal life. Uh, John chapter 15, and we'll just begin in verse 1 here. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Can we all say amen? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. No fruit, you're goner. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You see, it's just like the life is in the sun. If we abide in him, he abides in us, we've got life. We've got fruit. No abiding, no life, because the life's in the sun. The life's not in us. The life's in us because the sun's in us, you see. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. That was a song title, wasn't it, Jimmy? Sure was. I know them old Petra albums. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Brother um, George McLaughlin in his commentary on the Gospel of John, had a great comment here. He said, is withered. There is a large class who once abode, but now are withered and live in such a condition at the end will be destroyed. How many people are they that once believe, but they're withered? They're withered. They have no real life. They have no real faith in the real truth. They started out, but they're withered. And just like Brother McLaughlin said, at the end, they're going to be destroyed. Because if you're withered, you're withered. <laughs> and, you, and you don't have life in you. And we don't want to be withered. We want to be blooming. Uh, Brother Shank said this, and it's another great comment. He said, the relation of the individual to Christ is never a static relationship existing as the irrevocable consequence of a past decision. Now get what he's saying there. It says the relation of the individual to Christ is never a static relationship existing as the irrevocable consequence of a past decision. That's a fancy way of saying your eternal life doesn't believe on something you prayed 10 years ago or five years ago. It's not when you prayed something, it's irrevocable, but it's relationship. It's abiding in him. He says, rather, it is a present mutual indwelling, a present mutual indwelling. Christ in us, us in Christ, of the believer and the Savior, the sharing of a common life which emanates from him. Boom. That's it. 
We abide in him. He abides in us. We share that life. Life is in the son. Life is in the son. And it's eternal life. And if we just believe, we will be with him forever. Who is our life? Couldn't have been put any better. Now, we're going to have a final thought here by Brother Manton, and we're going to conclude our episode for this week. Let's let's go on and read the next verse in John 17, 3, concerning eternal life. What is eternal life? And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That was part of the glorification too, right? Glorifying each other. Yes, it would. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Father glorifying the Son, Son glorifying the Father, Father lifting up Jesus. It's marvelous when we understand the Godhead, and um, just so marvelous. And Brother Manton said this. This is on page 140 of volume 10 of his works. It said, commenting on John 17 and 3, knowledge is here put for faith or saving knowledge. You know, you can know that Jesus fed the 5,000 and not be born again, but to know, you know, Hosea said, my people are perished for lack of knowledge. It's not how much algebra you know, but do you know him? Knowing Christ in reality and relationship is eternal life. This knowledge is here put for faith or saving knowledge. Our Savior understandeth not naked and unactive speculations concerning God and Christ. Now, I tell you what, this is just something, you know, people today, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, you believe in Jesus. Yeah, um, you know, and well, you know, bless the heart, the Mormons think that God come from the planet Kolob and Jesus was Lucifer's brother and the JW as well. He's a little God, God created. And the, the ideas that people have, our culture is so biblically ignorant and it's so steeped in new age theology that almost always the understanding people have of Jesus is not the biblical one. And what we're talking about here is not, and Brother Manton put it so well, our Savior understandeth not naked and unactive speculations concerning God and Christ. We're not talking about any old thought floats in your head. We're talking about submitting yourself to the word of God, the doctrine of Christ, and to the living Jesus at the right hand of God. That's what we're talking about. Knowing him is eternal life. He goes on to say, bare knowledge cannot be sufficient for salvation, but a lively and effectual light. For it must be such a knowledge of God as discerneth him to be the chiefest good and only happiness. They know not God. They know not God that do not choose him for their portion. It's the treasure hidden in the field. It's the pearl of great price. You find that treasure in the field, you'll sell everything you have just to get that treasure. Let's close here with a couple of scriptures. And in 1 John chapter 2, 
And let's just read from the top. This, you know, a lot of people, and I'm all about the Ten Commandments. You know, we did a whole series on the Ten Commandments. You tell me the Ten Commandments uh, have passed away, I'll fuss with you a little bit. But this is talking about the commandments of Jesus. And let's get this. Let's just read it from the top in context. It's talking about them little red letters. First John 2 and 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, the subject through this is Jesus Christ all the way. And Jesus Christ, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him. The subject is still Jesus. If we keep his commandments, you see, these are the commandments of Jesus, them red letters, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In verse four, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. When we come to realize that life is really in the sun, and we really have the life of God, that eternal life, there's nothing like it. And there's just not words to describe to someone that doesn't know Jesus how great and wonderful he is. But Jesus is great. Jesus is great. I like that old, uh, I like what Keith Green said. He said, a Christian is someone that's bananas for Jesus. <laughs> and that's what we need to be, just bananas for Jesus, because he's great. You know, it's like Tony the Tiger used to say about Frosted Flakes. It's great. And that's what serving the real Jesus is and the real life of God. It's great with about five hours in it. And when we really realize that, we're going to trust him. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we will trust in Jesus no matter what. And we'll just close with Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10. It says, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for another opportunity to, to teach the doctrine of Christ. Father, we just pray that you open the hearts of those that hear this humble message that your truth and your word might break forth into their life. Father, we just pray that the blinders come off and that the word plants a seed and grows. And Father, we just pray that anybody that does not know you in saving faith as Lord, that they will repent right now and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and ask for forgiveness and place their faith in you for forgiveness of their sins and commit their life to you as their Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and we agree. Amen and amen. With all of my-